New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street book club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and we'll never give it up. <laughs> Literature is for the masses. Where to put your money down the how to watch your assets. Yeah, uplifting others is a passion. My brother Evan, he will turn it into action. New Black Wall Street Book Club. You should come read with come us. Read with us. Yeah, we comprehend and discuss. Yeah. If we all just come together, there's no limit for there's us. No limit for us. <laughs> Here comes your host, New Black Wall Street. Evan, take it away. New Black Wall Street Book Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best selling author of the book. The Black Billionaires Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com www.theblackbillionairesclub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. We're going to start this morning with our daily motivation for African-American success. That's right. Daily motivation for African-American success. This is a book written by a black author, one of the one of the premier black authors of our time. His name is Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. And today's title is, That's Easy for You to Say. That's easy for you to say. Everybody putting it down so easy. That's easy for you to say. And our quarter today comes from Carl Rowan, a, a syndicated columnist, who says this, and I quote, learn to speak kind words. Nobody resents them. Learn to speak kind words. Nobody resents them. Man, I think this kind of reminds me of what they say is, uh, you know, kill them with kindness, something like that. Kill them with kindness. Learn to speak kind words. Nobody resents them. So now we're talking about our vocabulary. The words that we use, the power of life and death is, is in the tongue. Are you speaking life? Are you lifting people up with your vocabulary? Let's see what else we got to say today here on our daily motivation for African-American success. Let's get motivated. Let's get it. Let's read. <laughs> Several years ago, a publisher shared a profound statistic. He said that the average person uses nearly 30,000 words each day. If these words were to put were put into print, they would fill a fair-sized book. Over the course of a lifetime, these books would fill a college library. This publisher's thoughts are a bit frightening. They emphasize the fearful responsibility that goes with the gift of speech. Everybody put in console the gift of speech. That goes with the gift of speech. Throughout history, we can see how words have shaken the world. A few examples are, what do we want? Asked Stokely Carmichael to a huddled group of first-time voters. We want black power. I'm just glad we had to get we had it to give, said Camille Cosby to Spellman's president, Janetta Cole, with regard to her $20 million gift. Let's try to work it out, 
depleted Rodney King during a press conference with the hope of ending Los Angeles' daily riots. And I have a dream. Preached Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in reference to his vision for humanity. Words are important. The six most important words, I admit I made a mistake. <laughs> words are important. The six most important words, I admit I made a mistake. Everybody put that in comments below. We're going to get this today. The six words, six words that are most important, I admit I made a mistake. The five most important words, right? Word, this is the words of appreciation. You did a good job. You did a good job. What's going on, Big Carrington, man? Thanks so much for joining us here on Instagram. Five most important words. We're talking about the gift of speech. We're talking about how we use our vocabulary. We're talking about the power of life and death being in the tongue. The gift of speech. The five most important words, you did a good job, right? The four most important words, what is your opinion? What is your opinion? The three most important words, if you please. If you please. The two most important words thank you thank you and the most important word we we let's go through that again right we're talking about just imagine if you just use these six different phrases or words or combination of words and you change the way that you speak, right? First, how you change the way that you speak? You gotta change the way that you think. You change the way you think, you can change how you speak. You change how you speak, you begin to change how you act. You change how you act, you begin to change your results. Let's do this again. Words are important. So important. The six most important words. I admit I made a mistake. Now let's be honest, guys. How many of how many of us have a problem admitting when we make a mistake, women, ladies? See, we, brothers, we mess up all the time. We <laughs> we so used to tell people we sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, baby. That's my bad. Oh, I don't know. We brothers, we 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 be jacking up all the time. Well, the truth is, we all mess up all the time. But it seems to be that only brothers can admit it. So let's practice this. Ladies, <laughs> I admit I made a mistake. I admit I made a mistake. Uh, the five most important words. Man, well, how much, what does this do to somebody when you tell them, you know what? You did a good job. You did a good job. Mr. Lowry, you did a good job. Mr. Carrington, you did a good job. Miss I am Iola, you did a good job. Miss Goodridge, you did a good job. Miss Reed, you did a good job. Miss Almanor, you did a good job. Miss Spoonie, you did a good job. Mr. Grant, you did a good job. 
Miss Junior, you did a good job. The four most important words is this question. What is your opinion? Man, we start asking people what they think about whatever it is that you might be doing or whatever it is that you saw. You want to involve them. You want to involve them in your life. You want to invite them into your life. You really want to know what they think. What is your, what is your opinion? Right? The third, the three most important words, if you please. If you please. The two most important words, thank you. See, I am older. She already practicing this. She, she said, see, but Karen, he gave me the thumbs up. Said, yeah, Miss Iola gave me the words. Thank you. Thank you. And then the most important word, we. That word we is a collective word. That word we means we, we as you and I working together. We, me, you and I in this thing. You and I forever attached. You and I doing this thing. You and I, this is called the power of agreement. You and I, we. Here's our affirmation today. Here's what you want to allow to take root into your subconscious, your heart, and then you can grow and develop this thing by repeating it over and over and over and over again until it brings forth a harvest in your life. This is where you can actually practice, right? The, 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 the gift of speech. This is where you can actually practice to reprogram or recondition yourself. Repeat after me. Repeat after me. Today and every day, I will only include the most important words in my vocabulary. Let's do it again. Yeah, our affirmation today. We're practicing what we're preaching. Repeat after me. Today and every day, I will only include the most important words in my vocabulary. Man, billionaire. Oh, how life begins to change when we change our vocabulary. We're going to do this one more time for the people in the back, the people in the way back. We want to make sure that they know that we mean business. This time, say it with some conviction. Our affirmation of the day, right? Using the gift of speech, understanding that words are, are important. We're going to imprint this on our heart. And we're going to allow this thing to cultivate and become a reality in our life. Repeat after me. And this time, say it with some conviction. Today. And every day. I will only include the most important 
words in my vocabulary. That's easy for you to say. Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. A quick word from our sponsor. Don't just buy black, decorate black. ERGJ Black Bazaar is the Afrocentric marketplace, and we specialize in urban home decor. Anything from shower sets to wall tapestries to duvet cover sets, you can decorate your entire home with original black art-inspired gifts. Check us out at www.ergjblackbazaar.com, www.ergjblackbazaar.com. ERGJ Black Bazaar, the Afrocentric marketplace. We make group economics easy. All right, man. That's right. And every day, man. What's going on, Miguel Thorne? Thanks so much for joining us over on Instagram. Jennifer Armour said, today and every day, I will only include the most important words in my vocabulary. Ms. Miguel Thorne said, today, I will only include the most important words in my vocabulary. Ms. I am, o- I am Eola. Our Instagram said, today and every day, I will only include the most important words in my vocabulary. Well, my beautiful people, that <laughs> Peter Grant said, that's going to be a difficult task. I hope I am able to conquer it. See, see your words. See, see Peter Grant? You have already set yourself up for a challenge because you said that it's going to be difficult. You see, so when you say it, then it's true for you. So you already are creating something to be difficult when you could have simply just chosen your words different. <clears throat> you could have simply said, you know what? We're going to make this happen. Why did it have to be that it's difficult? Right? Why did it, you making it difficult before you even try? Change the way that you talk. Change your speech. Change your vocabulary. You change your life. As a man thinker and as a woman filleth, so is he or she. Right? That's right, man. That's right. Miguel said, this is easy. Wow. Now, why is it easy? They want to tell you why it's easy. See, it's something we have to grab. Why is it easy? Because I choose what I choose to say. I choose my words. Now, it doesn't matter about the outside forces that might come against me. It don't matter how much he try to pick my hot, hit my hot buttons. It doesn't matter how, how much they do. I Look at this. Oh, my goodness. Mr. Antoine Lyle said, I will master my most important words daily. I am Eola. Now, Instagram is on fire. Said, exactly. Speak what you want, family. Right? You choose your words. You choose your reactions. You, it's your choice. Right? It truly is your choice. <laughs> All right, say, hey, Miguel said, if you can control your thoughts, you can control your words. That's right. Now, I think this bears point. We must do this. You know, I, I love this, uh, this uh, prayer, right? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
courage to change the things I can, like my vocabulary. So God, give me courage today. Although I might see it as a little difficult, but I need courage so that it can get easy and wisdom to know the difference. Would you agree that you can control your words? Would you agree that you can control your emotions? Would you agree that you can control your thoughts? And then ultimately, if you agree with those three statements, you're ultimately saying, I can control my life. Because what else is there really? My thoughts, my emotions, my words, and then the big doggy, my actions, right? My, my thoughts, my emotions, my words, and the big dog, my actions. What else is there to your life? Your thoughts, your words, I mean your emotions, your words, and the big dog, your actions. What else is there? I mean, if you control those four things, your thoughts, your emotions, your words, and your actions, man, 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 you talking about, you talking about this whole thing called your world, you are in control of your world, inside of the big world, right, inside of the big world, Vivian Reed said today and every day, I will only include the most important words, good morning to you, Miss Alexis, every day, don't claim those word facts, today and every day, you choose your reality, absolutely, right, okay, amen, yes, I control my life, absolutely, well, that was our appetizer, guys. Yep, that was, our, that was our affirmation appetizer. The New Black Wall Street Book Club presents Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires by Shamari Wills. Let's read. We can get right into this thing here, New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. You put it in the book. We absolutely will find it. We're picking up in the book called Black Fortunes. And this is a book of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become billionaires. We're now into chapter 11, and the title of today's chapter is Founding the Black Hair Industry. So y'all should have some idea about who we're gonna be talking about today as we have another African-American who escaped slavery and became a millionaire. Let's get it. Chapter 11, found in the black hair industry, Peoria, Illinois. Peoria, Illinois, right? On a cold evening in 1878, everybody put that in the comments below, 1878. 1878. So this is now... We're talking about 130 years ago or so, 140 years ago. On a cold evening in 1878, a snow fell. The winter wind swirled outside a small wood frame house in Peoria, Illinois. Inside the kitchen with a black wood burning stove at its center, Annie Minerva Turnbow stood on a wood crate behind her old sister, Sarah, parting and plating Sarah's hair. Annie was nine years old with a fond fake brown face the color of mahogany. She was small for her age and looked even tinier. Draped in 
three sweaters and a thick pair of trousers to protect against the cold. She had an outsized personality and was quick-witted and precautious. As her small fingers wove through her sister's thick, curly hair, two of her sister friends, Lily and Bo, sat a few feet away at the kitchen table, making small talk and watching Annie. She's got a knack, Lily said. She can do hair like nobody's business. And it's going to be my business, said Annie, as she continued to wrap sections of her sister's hair around her fingers and then weave them together. You might have the knack, but that doesn't mean anything, Lily cautioned Annie. My granny makes the best fried catfish that side of Ohio River, but that doesn't put food on the table or clothes on her back. Sarah chimed in as Annie moved on to another section of hair. She might be able to charge a penny. She might even earn a little spending money on the side when she gets a real job. Now imagine this, guys. Right? This is your sisters. This is your la familia. And you got this dream. You said, hey, this is going to be my business. You nine years old, or how old she was at the time. And your sister's, your La Familia, is shooting down your dream. How many guys had that happen in your life? People that are closest to you don't believe in your dream. Matter of fact, we've seen this happen. A good Bible talks about it with Joseph. He had a dream. And guess what happened when he told his brothers? They sold him off to slavery. I mean, what happens sometimes when we share our dreams with the people that are closest to us? They don't always seem to believe in what we dream, although some strangers might believe it. But you know what the most important thing is when it comes to your dream? The most important thing is for you to believe. Everybody put it down so I believe. The most important thing is for you to believe. Why? Because God gave you the dream. He didn't give it to them. He gave it to you. Now, what do you believe? That's the great question. See, if you're searching for validity or confirmation from other people outside of God who gave you the dream, uh-oh, problem, uh-oh, problem, I believe. Annie's future seemed to come up and anytime the girls got together to have her work on their hair. Annie imagined that she would start a business doing hair and make enough money that she didn't have to work as a maid or on a farm as her sister and friends did. That type of thinking was what worried Sarah and her and her friends. Annie's dream, they called it dismissively, right? In Peoria, it was hard enough for African-Americans, most of whom worked long hours as domestics in the mansions of the rich on the Illinois River waterfront or as hands on the pig and cow ranches on the outskirts of town. In Peoria, and many communities like it, emancipation had left African-Americans only a half step out of slavery. It seemed that the only jobs available for blacks were frustratingly similar to the ones they had worked before the Civil War. After emancipation, it was common for African-Americans to be forced to work for the fa same families that had once enslaved them. Sarah and her friends warned Annie not to put her hopes in foolish dreams. Uh-oh. Who had ever heard of a black hair business anyway? Annie and Sarah had endured enough suffering already. Uh, Sarah, Annie's parents, and Annie's other older siblings had been enslaved in Kentucky on a plantation near the childhood home of Abraham Lincoln. When the Civil War began, her father, Robert Turnbull, had enlisted in the 5th Kentucky Cavalry of the Union Army and sent his wife, Isabel, and his children to the Underground Railroad to the free soil of Illinois in 1866. He surrendered his horse and gun, hung up his blue Union uniform and cap, and trekked to Illinois to reunite with his family. 
hoping they could build a better life in the emancipated world. One of his first acts as a free man was to go to City Hall and apply for a marriage license. He bought a farm in Metropolis, Illinois, where he and his family worked the soil for their own, own gain, not that of the plantation owner. On August 9, 1869, the Turnbulls welcomed their 10th child, a girl whom they named Annie Minerva Turnbull. Annie Minerva Turnbull. Now, in case you guys don't know, Annie Minerva Turnbull is Madam C.J. Walker. Okay, just in case y'all are trying to figure out who the hell we talking about. Just in case y'all don't know and y'all this history. Anyway, Alexis Holmes said, me and my sister, uh, me and my sister used to, used to stand in front of, of uh, Edward Stockbroker's firm when I was five. I would tell her, I'm going to work here and save us Scored the gig at 18, worked there 12 years, vowed to never work. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely. In the years after slavery, black farmers like the Turnbulls faced a world that was both was that was both free and perilous. Black farmers, if they could bring in a good crowd, could make as much as as or more than white farmers. However, in addition to the backbreaking labor of farming, they also faced threats of violence from white supremacist groups. In some cases, the groups would damage their crops, kill their livestock, or threaten their very lives. When Annie was a toddler, Isabel and Robert Turnbull fell ill and died within months of each other, leaving Annie an orphan. She then went to live with her adult sister, Laura, in the nearby town of Peoria. She slept on a cot in the kitchen of her sister's small house, the same room where she worked on Sarah and her friend's hair in her spare time. She'd sure earn a penny if she could fix that hair of yours, Lily Crack, motioning towards Bay, the other friend who had been sitting silently at the table. Bay had uh, had a blue scarf tied around her head, covering her hair. She had dark brown skin and big brown eyes, which she cast downward, frowning in response to Lily's remark. It's your own fault, Lily admonished her. They had been using a hair straightener she had purchased from a traveling salesman that had caused her hair to fall out. You might as well jump in the river of lie as, as to put that mess in your hair, Lily said. Can you help? Bay asked, looking at Annie. She lifted the scar to reveal that half of her head was hairless. Annie got down from the crate she had standing on and walked over to the table to take a closer look. The skin on Bay's head was red and swollen. I thought you learned your lesson, Sarah said to Bay unsympathetically. Bay seemed to be obsessed with changing her appearance. Uh-oh. She had tried skin lightening tablets, which contain ionized skin bleaching creams and whitening powders. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Recently, she had bought a whitening lotion, which had irritated the skin of her arms and hands. Lord Jesus, how long have black women, I'm sorry, black folk been trying to get white? Yikes. The black beauty industry in the years after slavery ended was dominated by traveling salesmen and beauty companies that sold products to alter the appearance of African-Americans to make them look more like white people. Black skin removers, whitening pills, and hair straighteners were advertising pamphlets, broadsides, and flyers with the goal of ostensibly helping black people to assimilate into white society. The products were snake oil, but sold well in part because some black people believe that looking whiter would help them achieve higher self-esteem and social status. Oh, Lord. Now, see, I don't even know how much further I can go. 
because here's the deal. This shit is still happening today. One, because we don't know our history. We won't read a book like this, most of us, and realize, damn, this is what was going on back then, and it's still going on today. Black people trying to assimilate into white society. And thinking that they can do something on the outside to help them to achieve a higher self-esteem and social status. If I look white, I'll be accepted. I don't really love the skin that I'm in because of the society that I live in. See, the good book says something like this. Do not be conformed to the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, it's very interesting to me that a whole bunch of black people go to this place called the church. A whole bunch of black people believe in this book called the Bible. A whole bunch of black people don't read the Bible. But then they go and try to assimilate into society instead of doing what the Bible tells them to do, which is do not conform. Everybody put it down, so do not conform. Do not conform to the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, which simply means you must change the way that you think. And it's up to you to do it. It's up to you to do it. No one can change your mind. No one can transform your mind except you. Isn't this interesting? Do not conform. Do not conform. How long has it been 2,000 some odd years since that book's been written? It's been 2,000 some odd years since he's been saying the same thing or that same verse to black people, white people, don't matter, whoever read the book. Do not conform to the ways of the world. In other words, do not conform to what society says you should be. In other words, don't get in the box. Please stay out the box. How do you stay out the box? By changing the way that you think. How do you change the way that you think? By changing what you read, by changing what you watch, by changing what you listen to, by changing who the hell you talk to. Let me go through that again. Don't conform. Change by changing the way that you think. How do I change the way that I think, good Lord? Okay, here you do. Change what you read. Change what you listen to. Change what you watch. And change who the hell it is you be talking to. Live soaps and tins of animal fat were the most common hair products used by African Americans in those years. Hair was more of a social institution than a business. Women had their hair braided and styled by family members or friends in their homes, usually with no money being exchanged. At the time, it was hard to imagine anyone making it into a business. During enslavement, African Americans had been treated as chattel and been deprived of adequate clothing and soap. As a result, there was no defined black aesthetic or hair care in the years after emancipation. Black women often wore braided styles adapted from African hair braiding techniques. Or like Mary Ellen Pleasant, they kept their hair hidden under bonnets and scarves. Black men such as Frederick Douglass and Robert Reed Church cut their own hair. They slicked it back with beard oil, imitating the hairstyles of white men as best they could. Wow. Shit. The New York millionaire Jeremiah Hamilton chose to shave his head of tightly coiled hair, which the newspaper referred to as wool, and wear a wig of straight black hair. 
1878, as Annie dreamed of having a hair business, black beauty was yet to be defined or commodified. Now imagine this. Style. We're talking about style, fashion, hair care, the industry itself. How much has changed in 150 years? Not much. It's like, hey, this is my natural hair that God has given me, but I want to, or I I think subconsciously, I'm going to have to make this be like a white person. I'm going to have to get the weave of the Asian person. I'm going to have to get straight hair like others because society does not accept my nappy and my curly, my whatever hair. Man. Woo. Right? So yes, men did the same thing, right? We're talking about Frederick Douglass slicking back the hair. We're talking about uh, 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 Jeremiah Hamilton who cut his hair off and then went and bought a wig so he could look like Abraham Lincoln or somebody. This has been going on for years, decades, centuries. I'm telling you, man, do not conform. Do not conform. Wow. Okay, let me keep going. Y'all gonna get me in trouble. White beauty salons and barbershops, on the other hand, were booming and were often run by black men and women. Robert Reed Church's first wife, Louisa, made a small fortune dressing white women's hair and wigs in Memphis. She used her money to help her husband open his first business and buy the family's first home or, or and a horse-drawn carriage. In Atlanta, Alonzo Herndon, a former slave, opened the Crystal Palace, the most famous barbershop for white men in the South, the beginning of a million-dollar business empire. It would be years before the Herndons and the churches would become well-known as the richest black families in the South. So the hair industry has been actually a boom for those that don't know, that has led to fortunes for black people. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on in 2019, but back in the day, we were capitalizing on the hair industry and getting rich. So to Sarah and her friends, Annie's insistence that she could turn black hair into a business was more foolish than visionary. Maybe your hair will be better when it grows out, Annie said as she finished examining Babe's head. If it grows out, Lily jabbed. But Babe put her head into her hands, shook it from side to side, and began to cry. All I wanted, she said, her voice breaking and cracking, was to look nice. You know, look pretty. Everybody put it on so black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. Right? So he said, man, I was about to go perm my hair again. I guess I would just miss that idea. <laughs> Vivian Reed said, flaming scalps. Jeffrey said, men did the same thing in order to fit in or be accepted. Men has done the same thing in order to fit in or be accepted in a certain social class. There's now more products, curly, dreads, jerry curl, hair transplant. Ain't that something? Black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. Babe's problem wasn't uncommon. With their scalps damaged by chemicals and their hair follicles clogged by heavy oils. Now y'all remember, I was just thinking about um, uh, 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 Malcolm X when he was uh, when he was uh, Malcolm Little, right? He did the same thing, right? When from the movie, from what I remember, he put that stuff in his head and, and then the water ran out. He had to put his head in the toilet. Remember that? 
Same thing. Back before he was woke or before he was conscious, before he appreciated black, he wanted to assimilate to be accepted with his hair looking white. I want, here's my question. How did black folk get convinced that their natural hair given to them by God wasn't, isn't good enough? That's a good question. I, I mean, that's a great question. When did black folk get convinced that the hair given to them by God, right, wasn't pretty, wasn't good, wasn't good enough? Now, I get it if you got some, you know, uh, Appalachia, Appalachia, whatever it's called, or, you know, cancer, and you got, you know, shit coming out of your hair, your hair's falling. I get that. But I'm talking about when you ain't got no issues and you just don't like your hair. I just don't like my hair. Now, I think it goes even further back, though, like somebody talking about wigs and extensions. Now, we know that, um, that there were... Uh, that there were wigs or extensions used way back when, right? When we were back in Africa. We still, we would, you know, I guess the women would wear types of stuff, adornments and stuff. You know, that was kind of the queen thing to do. Is it really that we're doing that now? We're saying, you know what? I'm a queen, so I'm adorning my hair like an African goddess or I'm adorning my hair like a white princess. Oops. Let me drop that because y'all ain't going to get me in trouble today. And it might as well have been good, uh, been good at styling hair, but getting it to grow again was another matter, all right? So that is, uh, <laughs> that is, that is uh, chapter 11, part one, chapter 11, part one. A quick word from our sponsor. reading the book Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Chapter 11, right? Chapter 11, founding the black hair industry, part two. About a week later, in the middle of the night, Annie awoke in a coughing fit. She flailed about, grasping for air and tugging at the neck of her nightgown. Sarah was awakened by the noise and rushed into the kitchen. She put a pot of water on the stove, lit a fire, and threw a handful of herbs from a jar into the water. Then she opened the front door and let a rush of cold into the kitchen. When the chilly hair hit Annie, hit Annie in the face, she gasped. Her airways opened slightly. Sarah snatched her up and held her face over the pot of boiling water, telling her to inhale the steam coming off the herbs in the boiling pot. After an hour, she was breathing normally, and Sarah put her to bed. That sounds like an asthma attack. <laughs> That's what that sounds like right there. Annie stayed in bed for three days after the incident. On the fourth day, she had asked to return to school. You're not going anywhere. You're at death's door, Sarah told her. Sarah kept Annie in the house until spring. One warm day in April, she sent her out on an errand to buy some herbs from the local herbalist. She handed Annie a jar made of clay with money in it. Don't dwaddle, she told her, pressing it to her chest. Annie took the pot and headed out, leaving the house for the first time in months. The herbalist lived in the cabin in the woods just outside the city. Annie wandered to the outskirts of Peoria until she reached a dirt path. 
She followed the path through an open field, past a grove of walnut, walnut trees, past the creek, and up and down a hill to where the herbalist lived in a cottage by a small creek-fed pond. There she saw a woman working in the garden in the front yard of the house. She wore an apron with dozens of pockets, which she was stuffing with flowers and leaves that she picked from the garden. Annie went up to her and handed her the clay pot. The woman greeted Annie. You still having those spells, Annie? Annie nodded. You'll grow out of those spells, the woman told her, and then led her inside the house. The aromatic house was filled with shells of labeled jars containing oils and herbs. The woman pulled three jars from the shelf and led Annie to a table, where she sprinkled some of the herbs from each jar into a mortar and crushed them together with a pestle. As the woman worked, Annie wandered the, wandered the room looking at the jars on the wall. Sage cures coughs, fever few cures rheumatism, and valerian root brings sleep. As she read the labels on the hundreds of jars, they seemed to offer a cure for any ailment thinkable, heartbreak, weight gain, teeth grinding. Suddenly, Annie remembered Bea and her hair loss problem. Do you have anything for hair, she asked. A plant that grows hair. No, the herbalist said, I have many. She took down three jars of herbs, sprinkled some of each into her mortar, crushed them. She then took down a thick, creamy yellow liquid and mixed some of it into the herbs. This is a hair elixir, she told Annie. Just take some of it and rub it into your scalp and then let it sit for 30 minutes. She pushed the mixture towards Annie. Now that's that. Now that'll be a dime, she added. Annie took the mixture along with the herbs her sister had asked her to buy and headed home. The next time Bay came over, Annie told her about a concoction and asked if she would try it on her hair. Bay agreed, and Annie applied the substance to her scalp. After a few days, Bay's skin started to heal. A few weeks after that, her hair started to grow back. Annie's health continued to improve that spring, but Sarah kept her out of school, fearing that she was too weak. Annie asked Bay to get her science books to study while she was out of school. Bay was grateful to Annie for curing her baldness and got her mother, who worked as a cleaning woman at the white school in Peoria, to borrow books from the school, which she gave to Annie. Now, a hair elixir, which came from an herbalist. And an herbalist was, uh, was uh, let's just say she was a, uh, she was a she was a she was a professor she was a, she was excelled in understanding natural natural uh, ingredients. Now we would say something like uh, you know uh, homeopathic. Now we would say something like essential oils. Now we would talk about these plants. Marijuana could be one of them that have medicinal benefits. And some of you that are out there are herbalists in your own right. You understand what lavender does. You understand what chamomile does. You understand what rose water does. You understand, uh, you know, uh, what sage does. I mean, you understand some of this stuff. And I'm just saying, Annie Turnbow had to go to an herbalist to get something that would help cure hair loss or alopecia. If Annie would have never met the herbalist, We'll find out very soon. She would never be in a position to solve that problem. Everybody putting cars on solve a problem. Solve that problem, which could then turn her into a millionaire. 
See, I'm why am I saying it like this? Because some of y'all are sleeping on your talents and gifts. Some of y'all are sleeping on your knowledge. Matter of fact, I would say not just sleeping on it, you're hoarding it. I mean, you are constipated with information and not sharing it in order to change the lives of those around you. How selfish is that? Something that comes from you that's knowledge that could solve the problem of many others could then turn you into a millionaire if you just use the knowledge. This is why those I keep saying that if you know better, you do better. It just simply is not true. If you do better, you do better. If you use what you got, you might get what you want. Why won't you simply use it? This lady just helped solve, help Annie solve a problem. And this problem that Annie's solving eventually turned her into a millionaire. Back in early or late 1800s. Let's keep going. Throughout her childhood, Annie read anything about chemistry and biology, hygiene. She could get her hands on, hoping she could learn something about hair. Now she in research mode. Everybody putting guys on research. One day she came across a text on dairy farmers' use of ointments to treat the skins of cow's udders. After reading about the ointment, she went into town, purchased a cow ointment from the drugstore, took it home, and mixed in various hair-growing herbs from the herbalist. She tried the ointment on the stray cat she found suffering from, from mange. The solution seemed to help regrow some of the animal's hair after a few applications. She decided it was time to try it on a person. She tried her concoction on one of Sarah's friends who had tried to straighten her hair with live soap and burned her scalp. She had bald patches all over her head where she had scalded herself with a straightening substance. When, when her friend came to Annie, she washed her head, then applied her new solution of ointment and herbs. After she was done, the friend asked her how long it would take for her to her hair to straight to start growing again. I don't know, Annie replied. You are my first human experience, experiment. The friend returned a few days later to show Annie that the patches that had been bald were now sprouting hair. The solution had worked. Annie had invented her own hair elixir. Now, I got to ask this question, and it's for ladies and the men, predominantly ladies, because, you know, we're talking about lye. Who here has actually used lye in their hair and burned their scalp in their life before? Matter of fact, that thing, I remember I used to get the little S-curl when I was in, in middle school. Why the hell I was getting that? I don't know. Why my parents didn't get it? I don't know. But it seemed like it was pretty cool. But when you had to apply the stuff. And when it start burning like a mug, oh Lord, can we get Carrie out? You know, just a few moments. Oh Lord, my hair. Oh Lord, what's this? It's getting pretty hot. Can we put some water? Just a few more seconds. We gotta make sure it's sit. Oh Lord, my hair burning. Oh Lord, get some water, please. I've been through that before. I'm pretty sure women, y'all go through it all the time. I mean, my goodness. Ooh, it's, it's hot. Ooh, ooh, just ooh. 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 <laughs> huh? We ain't playing up in here. <laughs> right? So Annie invented her own hair elixir. Next, Annie began to make her own elixir by copying the ingredients used in the cow ointment, petroleum, sulfur, and lanolin, or beeswax. That's right. That's right, Vivian. Ten more minutes. 
10 more minutes. (laughs) Right? Over the next 10 years, she continued to treat women in Peoria, using them as test subjects to perfect her solution. Everybody put it on, so perfect it. Perfect it. Tweaking its ingredients and their proportions. The sulfur removed damaged tissue. The petroleum and beeswax helped heal chemical burns and moisten the skin. She added herbs she learned about from the herbalists that were purported to grow hair faster. She named her invention the Wonderful Hair Grower. Andy's reputation grew in Peoria, as not only could she do hair like nobody's business, but she could help women who were going bald from the chemicals sold by traveling salesmen grow hair again. It was a small miracle. Now think about this for a second. Let's just say you are the individual who does hair like nobody's business. So you're providing a service. And what if you are studying hair and you create your own hair product? What that means is that when your uh, when your uh, your clients come to do get their hair done because you do hair like nobody's business, they ain't gotta go to the to the to the beauty supply store. They ain't gotta go to Walgreens or CVS or Walmart or whatever to go get their hair products because the person who does their hair like nobody's business also sells the products that they can use for their hair. Not only does she sell it, they make it. This is how you begin to get rich. You begin to make sure that your customers or your clients ain't got to go nowhere else for whatever else they might need in the area in which you serve. Right? <laughs> well, y'all have some, y'all, y'all be, this is real, man. We done did some stupid stuff, right? Be related to 10 more minutes, perfect our solution. Uh, I said, I had a perm in my head back then and it burned my head. Ouch. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that feeling? And we remember pain. We remember pain. Says, I guess I can't lie when you purchase that super perm knowing you only needed a mild flashback. <laughs> right? Right? So that was a. Uh, 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 that was part two. That was part two of uh, making, founding a black hair industry. Uh, founding a black hair industry, uh, part two. And we're reading in the book, Black Fortunes, uh, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. And this is, oh Lord, I'll I be, I be trying to get through it. I don't think we're going to be able to finish this, guys. We're going to have to pick up. We're going to read, Lord Jesus. You know what? We're going to stop right there. All right. So this is going to be a part two to this. I know y'all want to read the rest. We ain't got that kind of time, though, uh, as we're getting into the story. I guess we're getting into the story of uh, of uh, of Madam C.J. Walker. OK, so we're going to stop there. A cool thing about this book, guys. Look at that. There's Madam C.J. Walker. They got a picture of her. That's Madam C.J. Walker. Uh, they got other pictures of some of these billionaires in this book as well so we're gonna stop there though okay i'm gonna stop there we're gonna pick up uh what's today i'll do we'll do it tomorrow tomorrow's friday we can get it in we can get in tomorrow finish this chapter up chapter 11 and we've been reading through the book black fortunes the story of the first six african-americans to escape slavery and become millionaires It's the new Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. 
And I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.theblackbillionairesclub.com, www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes to improve financial literacy within our community and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth, to build an institution that will teach the next generation about money. And your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, says, well we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village and it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people. And thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music. New, new, new black, new. It's the new black Wall Street book club. Wall Street. <laughs> With your host, Evan Jefferson. Evan Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Yeah. Now you ain't got a little computer, but we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the new black Wall Street. Book club, book club. <laughs> yeah. The new Black Wall Street. The new Black Wall Street.